Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go? A podcast about curious endings of people, places, and things. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. And today, Sarah, I'm going to talk to you about where Epersip went and where Barbara Newhall Follett went. What? So, yeah. I don't even know what those words are. Exactly. And I'm going to explain. <laughs> <laughs> so this came to my attention from, I, I browse Wikipedia in the evenings a lot of the time um, to fall asleep because it's often dry enough that I don't get my attention hooked, but it's interesting enough that I can keep reading. And I was reading uh, Mysterious Disappearances and Barbara Newhall Follett came up. And she was a child author. And her parents in the in the 1920s, her parents homeschooled her. She had not yet gone to school. And she was an avid typist and storyteller by the age of eight. Oh, wow. Yeah. And her dad worked in publishing. So it's not entirely shocking that she would be a literary child through a literary family. Because her mother also became a writer. But at eight years old, she began writing a book called that eventually became called Epersip or the house without windows. And it's had a lot of different titles. Sometimes it's just referred to as the house without windows. Sometimes it's referred to as the adventures of Epersip. And I am, I am guessing on the pronunciation because this is made up by an eight year old. It's E E P E R S I P. So I'm assuming Epersip. And so what I want to do in this is talk about first where Epersip went, the story itself, and then I want to talk about the writing process for the story because it's got some twists and turns, which is remarkable for an eight, a story an eight-year-old wrote, and then also what happened to Barbara. Because as I said, I, I stumbled across her with mysterious disappearances. So let's start with Epersip. I've seen people ask about, like, are there any books that have sort of like Studio Ghibli is that the correct pronunciation, by the way? Is it Ghibli? Ghibli? I've heard Ghibli. Um, that is probably Ghibli. I don't actually know. Well, we'll guess that it's Ghibli. And I will go ahead and apologize in advance if it's not. <laughs> so asking for sort of the, the feel of, say, the movies Kiki's Delivery Service or Spirited Away or My Neighbor Totoro or similar. Uh, those are all from the same sort of animation studio and often the same writers and animators. And there's a sort of feel of being within nature, but as a human and participating it in nature more fully and then sort of emphasis on enjoying food and sort of the spirituality of nature, a lot of things like that. And so if you're ever looking for a book like that, The House Without Windows or Epersip is that book. That sounds lovely, actually. It is a really charming story. It is the type of story where if you're an adult reading it for the first time, there's some slightly horrifying things about it because it's about a child that runs away from home. Mm -hmm. uh, but as a child, I really wish I had read this as a child because it would have blown my mind. Epersip runs away from home and she becomes part of nature very fully she makes herself a dress out of ferns and flowers and she becomes friends with deer and she goes on 
all kinds of adventures and plays with the deer. And then she catches a glimpse of the sea. So she goes to the sea and she plays in the sea and she makes a little friend there and teaches him to swim. And then she finds out that she has a baby sister and she decides that she wants to take the baby sister with her into nature so she can have a companion and also so her sister can enjoy it too. And her parents did try to like literally catch her, like capture her, but it's, there's a lot of magical realism in this story. She is sort of very powerful on a small scale in that she doesn't feel a lot of hunger. She has her needs met. She's very fast when she needs to be, things like that. She can kind of communicate with animals, but not in a not in a way that's like the animals literally speak English to her, but that they understand her and she understands them. So she goes back home and convinces her sister to come with her. And her little sister is very young and she recognizes this. And her sister has a lot of fun with her, but she misses her mother. And eventually Ypresip sends her sister back or brings her sister back uh, to home because her sister does not want to stay in nature. And then Ypresip goes to the mountains because that's her next adventure. And throughout the whole thing, and this is actually, it's a public domain story at this point. So I can provide a link to it in the show notes because it's, it's an easy read and it's kind of just a charming read. It's an interesting story in that it is very childlike in terms of the adventures and the scale of adventures, uh, but it is extremely sophisticated, in my opinion, in how she expresses understanding of what other humans want and need, which is usually to be around other humans. But then this one character has no interest, particularly in being around other humans, except other children in nature. So on her own sort of on her own terms of being around other humans. And the phrase the house without windows is referring to the world because the world is her house and there are no windows in just sort of the natural world. And so it's just sort of a very charming and interesting story. It's a pretty easy read. Uh, If I had read it as a child, it would have inspired me greatly so consider reading it with or to your children or allowing them to read it so let's talk about how barbara newhall follett wrote this so she was eight at the time she first wrote it holy canasta i know she had been typing and writing since she was like five or something like that uh yeah obviously a precocious child her father considered her not particularly precocious which is garbage i could read very early and I was not writing whole stories at that point. Yeah. So she was obviously a very literary child. And so her, she asked her father wanted her to be, or she wrote it for her mother as a gift for her birthday, for Barbara's birthday. Cause Barbara liked to give gifts on her birthday. And then her father said, well, why don't we have it printed so you can send copies to your friends? Because this is a very charming story. And then because he was an editor at Knopf Publishing House, he went ahead and said, hey, do you think we could get this like fully published? And the uh, it got all set up so that it could actually be printed. And then the only manuscript copy available burned in a fire at the uh, published, I believe the I've seen house fire and then I've seen uh, discussion because there's a an end word by Barbara's father for the book. Mm-hmm. And he says the publishing house burned down. Huh. So something burnt down. Yeah. And the only existing manuscript 
which is a great indication that you should really always back up your files. (laughs) The only existing manuscript burned. This was devastating. Right. And so Barbara attempted to rewrite it. And by this time she was older, she was able to recreate the story. And she added a few things because she had had a, a, her mother had, had given birth at that time. She had a baby sister. So she included a baby sister in her story. (laughs) After several years, so it took up to four years to get this uh, copy sorted out, it was published in 1927. And it was actually really well loved. Her, she became slightly famous. She didn't really love fame. She thought it was a little silly. But what she did, she sort of leveraged her, I don't know, I don't want to call it freedom, but sort of increased importance in the world because of her writing and because of being a published author to fulfill a huge dream of hers, which was to become a crewman on a sailing ship. Oh, good for her. Cool. Actually, uh, so she was kind of sent on a trip on a schooner in Nova Scotia Mm -hmm. as a like 13, 14 year old. But she did chores the whole time. Like she was a deckhand. So she wasn't exactly like hired to be a deckhand, but she was kind of allowed to participate as if she were part of the crew mm-hmm. and then she wrote a book the voyage of the norman d which i haven't actually read uh as her next book now at this point she was 14 and her father moved to new york city they they lived in new hampshire he moved to new york city and began living with another woman and left the family and this was very heartbreaking for Barbara, she cared deeply about her whole family, but was very close to her father. And her mother tried to be sort of lighthearted about it and be like, let's go on an adventure. Because it's like, well, hell, what do you do now? She's got two kids. And I, I, I don't know that she had an income at that time. So they traveled a lot and uh, overseas, including and her mother tried to write some travel logs and sell them. They weren't very successful, though. And so by the time Barbara was around 16, 17, she moved to New York City and became a typist. And she was really bummed out about that, obviously. Yeah. And uh, so in 1931, she met a man named Nickerson Rogers, and they, they both had a huge love of the outdoors. They walked the Appalachian Trail together, and then they did a bunch of sailing. They ended up eloping. They got married. But their marriage wasn't great. And Barbara was, she wrote, a lot, there are a lot of her letters that were retrieved that indicated that she was very concerned that there was another woman in Nickerson's life. And also that she was just sort of like, there's hints at like something being wrong with her or her thinking there's something wrong with her. And. Oh, yeah. Who knows at that time? Exactly. It's 19, it's 1932, 33. Who knows? There could be. Nothing whatsoever wrong with her. She could just think more than was expected of her or something like that. Right. So they uh, they were married for quite a while, uh, six to seven years. And then in 1939, on December 7th, they had had uh, Barbara and Nickerson had a fight and Barbara left their apartment with $30 in her pocket. Which in 2021 dollars is $589. And she was never seen again. Wow. And when I say never seen again, I mean never seen again. And so her husband waited two weeks to file a missing persons report. His indication, (laughs) 
his indication was he figured she'd come back. And she had actually at one point in her life when she was stuck in Los Angeles living with family friends. This is before she moved to uh, New York and became a typist because she hated. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I did see there. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of coasts on this. She goes to Spain. She goes to Greece. She goes to Los Angeles. She goes to New York. So when she had been stuck in Los Angeles at one point when her mother was trying to figure out ways to support her family with some family friends, she really hated Los Angeles. And so she ran away to San Francisco and she lived in a little hotel, which at the time there were hotels that were uh, ones that were somewhat like short-term lease apartment buildings. So yeah. people did live there. Roaming houses. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, tenant situations. Mm-hmm. And... She lived in one of those and did a lot of writing and she, some, her, her family friends actually did put out a missing persons report on her and the police found her and dragged her back to Los Angeles, which she hated. So she had disappeared once before and possibly multiple times before, who knows, in terms of how she coped with these things. So I'm not trying to necessarily justify waiting two weeks to file a missing persons report, but there may have been precedent for it. I don't know. Yeah. And so he also waited four months before issuing a missing persons bulletin be sent out. So he like informed the police after two weeks and then waited for a missing persons bulletin to be sent out. And he had them use Barbara Newhall Follett's uh, married name of Rogers because, uh, I mean, presumably that was her name at the time, but also it was an interesting choice because she was famous under another name. Right. Uh, her mother was furious and didn't find out until much later that her daughter had disappeared, which the family had kind of obviously fractured at that point. Uh, and so in the 50s, her mother started pushing the police to really investigate what happened to her daughter, particularly because she was very suspicious of Barbara's husband which is not illogical. It's not uncommon for the people closest to us to cause the biggest problems for us. (laughs) And she was really concerned. She wasn't necessarily concerned that he murdered her particularly, uh, but that he had incarcerated her in an institution, which was something that husbands could do to their wives in that time period, was send them to an institution for whatever. There were all kinds of reasons. Yep. So... Her body was never found. Barbara's body was never found. No evidence indicating or excluding her murder. So there's no way to know if she was murdered or wasn't murdered. And there's no way to know if she was put in an institution or wasn't. Body's never found. She's just gone. One of the very few people that I've ever heard of who just disappeared. And I thought this was particularly, I thought it was kind of an interesting story because I'd come at it backward from how I've told it to you, where I found out about, Barbara Newhall fall it and I was like well that's really interesting people don't often just disappear that's kind of difficult to do although at this time this is just after the Great Depression was easing and there was a lot of movement around the country so it is certainly possible that she just went somewhere and changed her name and lived a full life doing whatever it was interesting to go from this story of her disappearance to a story where a child disappears intentionally yeah And where running away from it all was the coping mechanism of this child that felt this deep call to the natural world. And it was just interesting to see, and it makes me somewhat hopeful, uh, that Barbara was fine and just became like, you know, Josephine whoever, wherever, and lived in okay. Yeah, our girl went feral. I hope so. 
Because <laughs> it, she literally, and she wrote a story about going on a sailing ship. And she wrote a story about literally disappearing into nature. Yeah. So it was just, uh, I found this story particularly fascinating because it's a very full circle and onto the same themes. And it was a very, she had a very cyclical life in a lot of ways. And then you also look at what her father did and she sort of can see the destruction of her family through what her father did, which was run away. Right. And so... It's just an interesting series of running away, escaping, getting out throughout her entire life. So that's the story of Ypresip, The House Without Windows, and Barbara Newhall Follett. That is completely amazing. <laughs> I love this story because the entire time I was like, this woman went feral. This mm-hmm. woman went and like... She, because she, you said she disappeared before as an adult. Like she just took off and went to San Francisco and then they found her and dragged her back. And I'm like, well, number one, why did they drag her back? Why not just let her live in San Francisco? She was a uh, minor at the time. Oh, okay. All right. That makes a little more sense. But I was just like, yeah, just, it's obvious like she got caught before. Mm -hmm. Well, caught, like in quotes, caught. Um, She got, she got found. Mm -hmm. Uh, before and then I can totally imagine as like an older adult just being like oh they're not gonna find me this time you know yeah she had 30 bucks in her brain and she probably had less when she ran off to San Francisco because like I said it was like 589 dollars that's a chunk of change yeah you could you could you could do okay for a little while and then she she was an accomplished typist that was a job you could get a job working for anybody if you could type she could also type shorthand which she really hated she loved the english language and she really hated shorthand because she thought it was just sort of like this weird mutilation but she had all these skills she probably didn't even have to go all that far so and and just imagine like back then you didn't have a a trail like really it was before the social security number Mm -hmm. It was before uh, computers, so she probably didn't have any kind of, like, digital trail of her existence. Like, she had a, you basically had a birth certificate. Like, if you had some kind of job, like, as a clerk, you might have evidence of you working. Um, And then, like, maybe if you had a bank account, they would show that. And that was about it. And then there was your, like, if you had children, if you got married, and then, your death certificate basically right and you could just make up a name and they would believe you and because and i mean if she's an accomplished typist she probably could either do or find forgeries of a lot of different things right so one thing that is indicated in the wikipedia article about this uh is that the media didn't realize she was gone until 1966 so she had a big chunk of time from 1939 to 1966 when she could just be gone. And she was in her 20s at that point. So she could even have died by 1966 and died fairly young, but not young, yeah. young. So I found this to be. Maybe she was old and she, you know, she died in the 80s. You never know. Exactly. Like, I hope so. <laughs> Yeah, me too. I hope she had like some little little shack in the woods and she just, you know, like had her little typist job to make money and then just cranked out manuscripts. Like, who knows? Well, I would have I would guess that she went so that 
she tells you where she goes in all these. She goes to the sea in the in the Ypresip book. She goes to the sea and she loves the sea. And she even has a little boat and she goes to an island in the in the story. It's a crappy boat, but you know, gets <laughs> to the island. And then she goes to the mountains. So that's where she went. She either went to the yeah. sea or the mountains. She either booked passage somewhere, went somewhere, or she went to to go live somewhere in the mountains or just imagine like you could you could be an expat and just live Mm -hmm. in various parts of europe like who is gonna stop you i mean i wouldn't like in 1939 i wouldn't live in i wouldn't live in europe but oh yeah Ooh, that's actually a good point did she get caught up because she would she'd been to spain and greece and those two places had a, a lot going on in the late 30s. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. She might not have been able to go to Europe, actually, thinking about it. Yeah, or maybe she just went to, you know, Tahiti or something. I don't sure. know. Or just Florida or whatever. Or Florida. <laughs> Some little island. Who knows? Yeah. So that's where Ypresip went and the book went. I cannot believe the first manuscript burned. I would have lost my mind. Yeah. And she was eight? Yeah. I'm just amazed that she bothered to write it again at all. I'm so glad she did because I'm like, I'm going to read it now. It sounds like a book I would have just worshipped as a kid because I loved running around outside. Like I was, yeah, I totally loved that. I, I would go outside for hours if not days if I was allowed to (laughs) and just go into the woods like I could pretty much walk anywhere when I was a kid like the I grew up in a very flat town so I could you know walk miles if I wanted to or ride my bike it was you know back in the 80s when people did that kind of thing (laughs) yeah I went all over the suburb where we lived but it was a suburb so there wasn't as much outdoor adventuring possible. Yeah. yeah so the, that's just an interesting little story. I was going to do obscenity laws, but then time got away from me. And I was like, you know, I'm either going to do a really bad job of obscenity laws or a pretty decent job at discussing what I could find about this woman and her book and her life. And it's a very charming book. Well, it's fascinating and it's a nice story too just to think and i know all of us at some point well i don't know this but i assume that all of us think about just like dropping everything at some point and just going like just collecting whatever is important to you and just leaving and like going off and having adventures yeah exactly you know we've all i'm sure a lot of us if not all of us have had those thoughts like Especially during COVID, I had them where I was just like, I'm just going to get my husband and we're just going to, we're just going to let everything burn. We're just going to drive across the country or something like that. Yeah. It's tempting. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. Thank you. Of course. I will talk about obscenity laws. I just want to make sure that I do it in a thorough way and not in a very slapdash way because I think they're very interesting and they're coming into play again which is awful 
Jeez. All right. Well, you can find our podcast at whereitisapodcast.com. You can email us if you have pronunciation corrections for all the stuff I pronounced probably wrong <laughs> in this episode at where does it podcast at gmail.com. Is it where does it at gmail.com? Where does it podcast? Where does it podcast at gmail.com? I'm glad I confused everyone on that. Where does it podcast at gmail.com? <laughs> we no longer have a Twitter. Hooray! Uh, we're reconfiguring our social media uh, in order to... We do we do have a Facebook, so if you want to... Like, you can always um, message me on Facebook because I have to use it for um, my other business. Um, yeah, and so I'm on it uh, like three times a week. And you can message me and we can talk about Barbara Follett. Where did she go? And where she went. Where did she go? I hope she went to the Appalachian Mountains. Yeah, that's what I'm. Ha- that's what I'm thinking. I'm wondering if she came through here. Like maybe she came through North Carolina, went to the coast, and then lived in the mountains. And there's like in Boone or somewhere. Like there's evidence of her. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> cool. Sarah and I wish you well. Barbara Newhall, follow it wherever you are. Yeah. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Bye.